Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on confrontation. You can go ahead and open up your Bible or your Bible app to Daniel chapter 5. And if you would like to find any additional resources on this message, or if you want to listen to our past messages, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can find all of that and more on our Brookwood app. by might, not by power. Some of y'all got a little filled up. Roland even swayed a little bit. I was waiting for Jack to jump a pew back there. But I'll tell you what, we need some jumping. Some of y'all need some CPR or something. I'm not sure what's going on. We're back to continuing our series called Living in a Foreign Land. And today's message is entitled Confrontation. Theme verse, take out your message guide. This is Daniel speaking to a new king in Babylon. You have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. I think we need to read that again. Y'all read it with me. You have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. Is there someone you need to communicate that message to? After being exiled in Babylon, now for 66 years, Daniel was summoned by a new king, named Belshazzar. Belshazzar means Baal, the name of the God, Baal, protect. You say, well, that sounds like Daniel's name, Belteshazzar. Yeah, and his name that was given to him means Baal, protect his life. Very similar. So Daniel was summoned by a new king who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was called to read the handwriting on the wall. That's where that phrase originates. Many of the phrases we hear in our culture originate from the scripture. Daniel's interpretation of the writing confronted the king's sins, the the king's sins, and asserted God's declaration of impending judgment. Like Daniel, we are exiles. Are you becoming sensitive to this fact? As you look around our culture, are you, who's spotting it? I want to see some hands. Are you spotting this, that the culture is shifting away from us? We are living in a land, I suggest, that's growing ever more foreign. A culture that is deteriorating as it increasingly rejects and even attacks Christian beliefs and morals. It's interesting that in today's culture, 
When we stand for Christian morality, we are being attacked as immoral. To assert God's standards today is labeled cruel, intolerant, and many other, many other words. Like Daniel, there are times when we must communicate God's displeasure regarding sinful attitudes and immoral actions that dishonor God. This is using our influence. We are supposed to be messengers of the gospel, right? That means we communicate substantively to people. But remember, we must always confront in a Christ-like way. So if your confrontation turns angry or resentful, you need to be silent until you have Christ's spirit when you confront. So let's learn this morning from Daniel how to do it appropriately. We're in Daniel chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and I will direct you, we'll just skip through this, just there's a lot of reading, so we won't do all of the reading this morning. Many years later, actually 23 years later, Belshazzar, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for 1,000 of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Now, let me just tell you that chronologically, the visions of the future in chapters 7 and 8 actually occurred in time between chapters 4 and 5. So Daniel is taken a little bit out of sequence when the book is put together. So it describes the narrative portions of Daniel's life before entering the apocalyptic portions. But in time, they actually occurred, 7 and 8 occurred between 4 and 5. Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C. He was succeeded by three different kings over a period of six years. Then a man named Nabonidus, who married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter named Rapunzel. They never got that this morning. I had to tell them, yes, this is the woman let down your hair. I made that up. But he married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Did you know who Rapunzel was? We need a painting of her. He became the king and he ruled Babylon from 556 to 539 B.C., 17 years. Nabonidus named his son Belshazzar to rule over just the city of Babylon. So he was considered king, but he was actually co-regent and he was king over a single city. Now, why was that? Well, here's why. Because Nabonidus wanted to change the primary God of the town and the people didn't like it. So they turned on him and they really began very, to be very hateful toward him, and they expressed a lot of distaste for him. So Nabonidus moved out of Babylon, which was the capital city, but he put his son in Babylon to rule that city. 
This feast occurred while the army of the Medes and Persians camped outside the city, preparing to invade. And of course, Belshazzar knew they were there, but he was unconcerned because the city had this great complex of walls, some 300 feet high. There were numerous defense towers around the city, bronze gates that were impenetrable. And they also had stored food sufficient for 20 years, and they had an unlimited supply of water that was provided by the Euphrates River, which flowed through the city from north to south. Back to Daniel 5, verse 2. While Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles, his wives, and his concubines. Drop to four. While they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar had decreed that all people must respect the God of the Jews in Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 4, after his, he, his mind was reinstated, he praised God and acknowledged his identity in Daniel chapter 4. But the years had passed. And the former king's words, Nebuchadnezzar's, were forgotten. And his grandson treated the God of Israel with arrogant disrespect. Using these holy vessels that were stolen from the temple in in Jerusalem as drinking cups in the midst of a party. While they praised the false gods of Babylon. And God had enough. Suddenly, they saw the fingers of a human hand writing on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. Why was it near the lampstand? That is a perfect answer. I was going to let Roland spiritualize it. That's God's just practical. God knows when it's dark in your house. God knows the circumstances and that's all it means. He knew the humans were there in their party and they needed to see what was happening. So the hand appeared where the candles were. The king himself saw the hand as it wrote and his face turned pale with fright. His knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. So what was the atmosphere at the party now? What do you think? It it got terrible. You ever been to a party and people are just nasty? That's my mother's word, nasty and drunk, and, and somebody steps up and said something. And the party died and the crowd went 
What? They went silent. <laughs> they went silent. The revelry stopped. The king shouted for the enchanters, the astrologers, the fortune tellers to be brought before him. And he said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me what it means will be dressed in purple robes of royal honor and have a gold chain placed around his neck, denoting authority. And he will become third highest ruler in the kingdom. Why the third highest? Yeah, because we had Belshazzar and his father who were higher. But when all of the king's wise men had come in, none of them could read the writing. Now, this writing was in Aramaic, which is similar to Hebrew. All of the Jews read and wrote Hebrew, I mean, uh, Aramaic. But notice this, these are the wisest men in the land they have all of these captured Jews under their control and they didn't even dignify them enough to know their language. How do we treat people from other cultures? Do we dignify them enough to ask about who they are, what their culture is, try to learn their language even? These people were unconcerned about anything about these Jews. And so they couldn't read it and they certainly couldn't tell what it meant. So the king grew more alarmed and his face turned pale. His nobles too were shaken. But when the queen mother, this was either the king's mother, it could have been the king's grandmother, heard what was happening she hurried to the banquet hall. She said to Belshazzar, long live the king, don't be so pale and frightened. So how did she say long live the king? You think she was all worked up and honor, honoring him? Is that how you treat your child when they're disobedient? Well, that's how she did. She was thinking, you big chicken. She, didn't, she said, long live the king, because that was appropriate. But look at the very next verse here, the very next statement. Don't be so pale and frightened. Does that sound like a mother talking? What are you so scared about? The first thing was just a nicety. Now she's talking like a mother, see. There is a man in your kingdom who has within him the spirit of the holy gods during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And again, this, is, this might be Nebuchadnezzar's wife or, or his daughter talking. This man was found to have insight, understanding, and wisdom like that of the gods. Drop to 12. This man, Daniel, this man, Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, 
has exceptional ability and is filled with divine knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. Now, we're going to see how Daniel acted toward this king, and we're going to learn from Daniel characteristics of confrontation that we ought to follow. And for our application for Christian confrontation, the first is respond to opportunities. So Daniel, who was now at least 82 years old, was brought in before the king. The king asked him, are you Daniel? one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what do you see from that? He didn't know it, did he? But look how he, rec- how he acknowledges him. Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles? Daniel was number what in the kingdom? After Nebuchadnezzar. Two. Two over the whole kingdom. And this guy doesn't even know who he is. There is no limit to the ignorance that results from arrogance. There is no limit. You know anything about that? There is no limit to the ignorance that results from arrogance. Some of us work in places and the top person has no idea who the most skillful people are on the ground. Arrogance. Disinterest. I have heard that you have the spirit of the gods within you and that you are filled with insight, understanding, and wisdom. Drop to 16. I am told that you can give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read these words and tell me their meaning, you will be clothed in purple robes of royal honor, same offer, and you will have a gold chain placed around your neck. You will become the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, the queen mother remembered, didn't she? She remembered the character of Daniel. She remembered the abilities of Daniel, even though it's been more than 20 years since Daniel interpreted the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the point. When you live for Christ and you display wisdom, peace, and contentment, in difficult circumstances, people will notice. And they will seek you when they need guidance, when they need hope, when they need advice. But let me say this. If when you go to work, you really look like everybody else and you talk like everybody else and when something goes against you, you're cursing, you're mad, you're angry, 
they notice that too. And they're not going to come looking in a difficult day. Now we must recognize that God puts us in situations. How many of the situations that you're in did God put you in? How many? You don't believe that, do you? Well, then why do you act like you do there? Every situation you find yourself in, every person you encounter is an opportunity to cooperate with God in his work. Everyone that walks in. You have the opportunity to communicate his truth to people who need to hear. See, if you belong to God, how much of your life is under his control? You don't believe that, do you? Still, what you believe that? Not over there at the hospital, not over there reading x-rays, do you? You think that's under his control? If you belong to him, everything is under his control. That makes you look at life real differently because how many of you have a job? Now keep your hand up, keep your hand up if you don't like your job. Some of y'all are cowards. Or your boss works in here, lives, goes to church in here. But you know what? Are you there accidentally or does God have a purpose? Either in you or through you. It's either in you or it's through you. Every position. He may move you somewhere else. Some of you may end up with more than one job at the same time. To, to, but if you belong to God, everything that happens belongs to God too. So it's all an opportunity potentially. See, God created us to fulfill his plans, to carry out his purposes in our communities. So we have to be alert to spot where he is at work. Now, here's the point. I'm not saying that every time you speak for God, the person responds. They might get mad. They might want, but you still, it's still God saying, are you speaking for me? But when he's at work in someone They'll respond. But see, here's what we got to understand. How do people respond to spiritual things? How? Humanly? Rationally? Y'all are scared. Come on, how? Spiritually. Spiritually. You can convince somebody to do something they ought to do and it'll still be right, but no, no. It's when the Spirit of God convinces them that something spiritual happened. There's some good human changes that are still profitable and recommended and even biblical, but no, nothing happened except some human improvement unless the Spirit of God, like they said, fall down on me. Some of y'all need something to fall hard. 
So we need to look for where God's at work. Because where God's at work, his spirit's opening doors, opening minds, opening hearts, and change results that they don't go back on. You hear me? That they don't go back on. Henry Blackaby dealt with this in a book, a great book called Experiencing God. I think it could be so important. I'm considering bringing it back next fall for all of us. I preached it about, I don't know, 12 or 15 years ago, but I'm thinking about bringing it again. Is that all right with you? Is God providing an opportunity right now for you to speak or act for him. How many of you already see the spot? You know, see, God's spirit will tell you. Another characteristic of Christian confrontation is to resist influence by rewards. Verse 17, one verse. Daniel answered, keep your gifts or give them to someone else because I will tell you what the writing means. See, Daniel was committed to serving God, but also serving the king. You know, the scripture says we're to, we're to serve elected officials too. And it doesn't matter whether you like the political party or not. Daniel was committed to serving God and the king, and he wanted no compensation. We have to always represent God with integrity not influenced or controlled by our desire to receive something from the persons we're attempting to influence. See, if I need you to like me, I can't tell you what you need to hear. If I want some benefit, use your vacation home, get invited into your social circle, I might want to play at your country club, I might alter what I say for fear that I might offend you and I'll lose my invitation. Now, I'm not saying you have to refuse every gift and every kindness that's offered to you. I mean, you know, I, my family's benefited from people's vacation homes at times, especially boy, the early days we couldn't afford to leave town. And that's okay, but we can't allow people's generosity to cause us to compromise our message about biblical matters. Similarly, we must not allow our desire to be accepted by certain people to cause us to change our behavior or to conceal our faith convictions to fit in. You know the in crowd that some of y'all are trying to claw your way into? But you know when you're setting your convictions outside the door. And you know what? It's happening at work and it's happening at school among the students. And here comes another one. It happens in your home with your own children. I can't tell my child what God wants them to do or where they're out of line because they might distance themselves from me. 
here's the thing. Loving your child is doing what's best for your child. If you're needy of your child's affection, you cannot parent. Y'all didn't like that, did you? I better say it again over here. If you are needy of your child's affection, you can't parent. Like Daniel, our greatest loyalty must be to God. So we must accurately communicate his word, convey his opinions in situations that violate God's guidance. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 and 5. So here's a question. Do you speak differently to people when you want something from them? A third characteristic of Christian confrontation is to remind of previous lessons. Verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, majesty, glory, and honor to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. He made him so great, God made him so great, that people of all races and nations and languages trembled before him in fear. He killed those he wanted to kill. He spared those he wanted to spare. He honored those he wanted to honor. He disgraced those he wanted to disgrace. But when his heart and mind became puffed up with arrogance, he was brought down from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from human society. He was given the mind of a wild animal. He lived among the wild donkeys. What do you think of when you consider a donkey? Larry, what, what trait does a donkey have? I caught you, didn't I? Somebody over here, say it. Stubborn. Stubborn. Was he stubborn? Oh, yeah. So, he, so Daniel wasn't just throwing out the names of animals. He's out there with the donkeys because he's already been acting like a donkey. Jackasses are stubborn. We know some. He ate grass like a cow. Anybody lived on a farm? I lived on a farm. Cows, you just push them out of the way. They don't have any mind of their own. Come on, come in here, push them. So he's, here he is, he's reduced to eating what's in front of his nose, whatever it is. He's drenched with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world and he appoints anyone, anyone he desires to rule over them. Now see, this king didn't know Daniel. You think Daniel knew this king? Oh yeah. He knew the king's pride. He knew the king's arrogance. So Daniel reminded Belshazzar about the greatness and power, but also the pride and arrogance of his grandfather. Why'd he do it that way? What, what, why'd he say it? Why'd he tell him this story? Yeah, but what's he, what's he expect to happen in Belshazzar? Is he talking about Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar? Both. Both. 
See, Daniel recounted the story of how Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God, became a wild animal, until he regained his mind and with it a keen awareness of God's identity, his sovereignty, his supremacy. Now, here's what I believe. I believe if any of us truly encounter God's Spirit, we will know that. We will not trifle with God if we have ever experienced His Spirit. Belshazzar undoubtedly knew about his grandfather's experience, don't you think? I mean, you know stuff that happened to your grandfather, right? We know what happens. And, and, and he knew he would have known about his grandfather's changed attitude, wouldn't he? Changed attitude toward God, changed attitude toward Jews. But he completely ignored it. In fact, he denied those lessons had anything to do with him, didn't he? as evidenced by his blasphemy and his idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar never mocked God by using temple implements for drinking cups. Here's the, here's the point. When you are slack toward God, your children's will be even more slack toward God. Your grandchildren may reject him completely. Whereas you had, you walked in faith, unless you're passing this message alone, along, the generations get farther and farther from God. And what the adult, where the adults sin in small part, the children in greater part, the grandchildren in much greater part. You see that? Like Belshazzar and his guests, Many in our culture are ignorant of and deliberately disregard lessons of faith that have been taught in the family, either from the Bible or from people we know. All right, I'm about to make y'all mad, okay? So you better hold on to your chair. And throw what you want, but I'm quick, I'll dodge it, but... Children need to be exposed to God from you and they need to be put in places where they're exposed by others. Now, I'm going to tell you all something. This is really going to be offensive. There's probably not anybody in here whose child is going to play in the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball. Well, I'll apologize to you if you show me the check. But here's the point. Some of us, we got all these traveling teams. We got all this special coaching. We got all this and no time for God. And you, you act like you're pouring it out at home, but you know you're not. You're coming home from work exhausted. Your children need to be instructed. And somehow we think that coming to Christ and living a godly life is just a decision they make like, deciding to drive a car or something. We need to be exposing our kids to, to the lessons of God's word 
We need to do it personally, but we need other people to do it as well. And you know what? If your kids aren't involved, you're making a mistake. And you know what? When they get out of your house, it's too late. It's too late to shape that character. And, you, and here's a lesson. I didn't come to faith until I was a senior in college. But let me tell you this. My mother wasn't playing about whether I was going to church. Sunday school, church, training union, church again, Wednesday night, church again. I had to sing in the choir. <laughs> Mama's not playing. And I wasn't even a believer. But you know what? I was soaked in God's word and his people. And I knew the stories and I knew the lessons. And even though I wasn't a believer, there were things I would not say and would not do because of my mama. I had a godly mama and she was absolutely consistent in her life. I didn't come to, I wasn't personally born again, but I wasn't going to dishonor my mama's God. Now I want to know what are we doing with our children. And some of y'all say, well, mine likes to go here and there and do this and that. Here's what, I, here's what I ask you to do. You go see what your kids are learning. You go sit in youth ministry and hear what they're teaching. You have a meeting with those guys. Because when your kids say, well, he's not good. He they're just trying to jump out where the girlfriend is. You decide where your kids are going to be. And you go in there too and use your life to grow your children. Or else they end up looking like Belshazzar. And they use your family Bible to prop up a broken vase or a broken chair. Knowing God and how he worked in the past particularly in your family, enables us to anticipate his response in present situations and future circumstances. See, when you know God and you get in a situation, you already know what he wants because you've been refined, you've been transformed, you know who you're dealing with. I got a daughter over here Y'all can ask her, hey, will your dad do this? And she'll go, oh, no, he won't do that. There just isn't any question, Harley. There's not many times you're in doubt, is there? Our kids ought not be in doubt who we are and how we'll act, should they? So do we remind ourselves and each other about God's faithfulness in the past to build trust in the present, to build hope for the future? The final characteristic is rebuke honestly but humbly. Verse 22. You are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this. Look at this. Now, he's rebuking the king. You knew all of this, yet you have not humbled yourself. You knew these lessons of faith. They were lived out in front of you. You might have been a small boy, but you saw it. You saw it at work. For you have proudly defied the Lord of heaven and have had these cups from his temple brought before you. You and your nobles and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them while praising gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, and stone. Gods that neither see nor hear nor know anything at all. 
But you have not honored the God who gives you the breath of life and controls your destiny. You have good health. Your child have good health. It's a gift from God. So God has sent his hand to write this message. See, Daniel's telling the king the reason for the writing. And then he interprets it. And this is the message that was written. Meaning, meaning, tickle parson. Now, now, these are units of money in Aramaic. It'd be like, it could have said penny, penny, nickel, dime in our culture. That's what it was. But they had other meanings too in Aramaic. But see, since it was Aramaic, lots of people could read it. At least all the Jews could read it. But none of them could interpret it because they hadn't been given the insight from God. And this is what the words mean. Many means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. And you have been weighed on the balances. And I like the NIV. And have been found wanting. You have been weighed and found wanting. And Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. You know, there are times when the scripture, in, in the scripture, when God gives warnings to bring people to repentance. But there are other times when God says, you're done. You don't have any more time and you don't, you're not even being given by the spirit the ability to turn now. We do not want to be there. That's the sin under death. The scripture says when, you're, when you've committed a sin under death, there's no turning from it. There's no turning from it. Do we communicate God's attitude towards sin as it's stated in the scripture? Or do we soften God to make him more palatable to people? Sometimes we make God like this little weak grandfather with dentures who's just pleading with you, would you give him a chance? It isn't who God is. Our God is fierce. He's righteous. When I tell somebody, oh, but God just doesn't mind this lifestyle. He just wants you to please come in. Is that God? So if I'm describing God in a way that's not about God, who has become God? I have. I have. My version of God that I sell to you once I soften it up is not God at all. We have a God who's righteous but gracious. You see what I'm saying? But our righteous God who judges sin invites you into relationship. But you leave the sin behind. You see what I'm saying? But he'll forgive all the sin. And he'll welcome you in. But you're not coming in the way you look right now. Some change is happening. That's who God is. Are we afraid to let God be God? Does God embarrass us because he's righteous? We're not telling the truth, but we tell it gently, don't we? But we tell it honestly. 
Daniel didn't want the gifts. I'm going to skip down because I know y'all will be itching to go. But Daniel was given the gifts and dressed in the robes and given the gold chain and all that. Although Daniel knew the city would fall, so I'm not sure what the promotion would mean, and neither was Daniel. But then he says at verse 30, and that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. It's October 12th, 539 B.C. Belshazzar knew that the Medes and Persians would conquer the Babylonians. That was then the interpretation from chapter 2. The second level of the statue was, was arms and chest of silver that represented the Medes and Persians. He knew they were coming. And in his arrogance, he didn't care. And so Darius the Mede, it's actually Darius the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. This, he was not the king. He was, a, he was actually an important army officer. The king was Cyrus of Persia, and it was predicted that he would conquer. But this army, the Medo-Persian army, the way they got in was Cyrus ordered that they divert the river. So they dug a trench, they diverted the river, and they marched in through the riverbed and destroyed the city. We must honestly but humbly tell the truth of God. God doesn't play with sin, but God invites people into relationship. Are we willing to humbly confront but also are we willing to be confronted so that we can become the people God made us to be? Our counselors, you come here to the front. They'll be here to talk with you, to pray with you. But I wanna ask you this. You know, we, we've heard about the Spirit and no change comes except by the Spirit. And the way we get the Spirit to work is by asking and praying. We pray at 8.15. Tomorrow is the, I mean, next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. I plead with you, let's come and let's, let's offer up a cry for the spirit to fall that we might see revival. Father, we ask that your spirit would save many, that he would change our church, our community, and our land. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Please help by stacking the chairs, if you will. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.